Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. All right, I want to talk to you tonight on a better you, part three. Now we studied part one, we talked about keep pressing forward. You remember that? That was three weeks ago. We had an interruption last week and it was a great interruption. And then we talked about being positive towards yourself. A lot of people are negative toward themselves. You need to be positive toward who you are. And then the third thing we, that we talked about in week two, which was two weeks ago, we talked about developing better relationships. And boy, we had fun that night. Because a lot of us stayed around 10 minutes instead of running to the car and see if it could be the first out of the parking lot. You stayed around a little while. We learned how to form better habits. Tonight, we're going to do three wonderful points here. Three great principles, and we're going to ask God to help us and to give us a word fitly spoken to you folks tonight. I really, truly love you. I am prepared to teach the gospel tonight. I hope you've come prepared to listen. God bless you tonight. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. You're awesome people, and I love you very, very much. Amen. What a beautiful night. By the way, we got a visit uh, on uh, yesterday, or was it yesterday? Was it yesterday? Yes, yesterday. Or Monday, was it Monday? Monday, one of the two days. It was a Tuesday. We got a visit from the people that, boy, the days just fly. We got a visit from the people that want to kind of put a business in our church. And I want you to pray about that, that we will be able to do the right thing about that. Whether it's for or against, we want to do the right thing. And so we're praying for that and uh, we're asking God to help us because if it, if it did happen, it would be a great windfall for the congregation here. And if we did decide to go multi-campus anytime soon, it would be a tremendous, tremendous boost for this home church right here. Amen. And so we're praying for that. Everybody say, Pastor, I don't know exactly what I'm praying about, but I will pray with you that God will let us do the right thing. So a man showed up at church with his ears painfully blistered. And after the service, his concerned pastor asked, what in the world happened to you? And the man said, I was lying on the couch yesterday afternoon watching the ball game on TV and my wife was ironing nearby. And I was totally engrossed in the game when she left the room leaving the iron near the phone and the phone rang. And keeping my eyes glued on the television, I grabbed the hot iron and put it to my ear. So the pastor said, how'd you get the other ear burned? He said, well, I had no more hung up and the guy called again. (laughs) That's funny. Now there's a man who was focused. He was so caught up watching the game on TV, he didn't know what he was doing. God loves us, folks, just like we are. Everybody say, he loves me. Don't put one of them little things, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. Don't do that to God. Do that to your boyfriend, your girlfriends in the second grade, but not to God. But he loves us enough not to leave us. The way we are. That's God. Philippians 1 and 6 said, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Everybody say, he'll carry it on to completion. I saw a bumper sticker one time that had these these letters on it. B-P-W-M-G-N-F-W-M-Y. 
And underneath, I got real close to that car because I, I wanted to read what it said, and I, I read it. It said, please, be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. I love it. Be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. If you want to be a better person, if you want to be a better parent, if you want to be a better man, a better woman, a better leader, a better example, there's some things you have to do in your life to get there. You can't just sit on your fist and lean back on your thumb and expect God to do something great for you. The first thing you have to do, or the fifth thing we're going to talk about, is you have to embrace the place where you are. You have to embrace the place. Everybody say embrace Embrace. the place place. where I am. Do you know someone who's not happy with where he he or she is in life? Do you know anybody like that? Perhaps she's frustrated because she's not married and her internal clock is ticking. Not only does she want to get married, she wants to get married and have five kids real quick. (laughs) And he's upset because somebody's not treating him fair on his career path. He's not getting the breaks that everybody else is getting. And those kind of people are constantly worried, trying to reason things out, trying to change things that only God can change. We create a lot of our unhappiness and frustration by constantly resisting and fighting against situations and circumstances in our lives. I love to read Philip Yancey. He's a Christian author. And he said he found it intriguing that the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the most brutally pessimistic books of the Bible, and it really is, was written from the perspective of King Solomon, one of the richest, most powerful men during a time of unprecedented prosperity in Israel. King Solomon had everything that the human heart could desire. And he had it in abundance. So why does he sound so hopeless? Then Yancey recalled the modern day existentialist literature, which is steeped in apathy and despair. And it had its start in Paris, France, during a time of great prosperity and great peace. I love what the Apostle Paul said. He declared, I have learned to be content In whatever state I am in. Somebody needs to repeat that with me tonight. I have learned to be content in whatever state I am in. I want people tonight, I want to encourage you to relax. And accept the place that you're in right now. We all have things we want to change. And we all have things we want to see different. But if we really believe that God is in control of our lives and he is directing our steps, then we have to believe that we're exactly where we're supposed to be in God tonight in this house. Clap your hands and rejoice. That's the truth. You got to believe that. I know a pastor that spoke one time on the subject, what's in your hand? And that day in the audience, a woman was at the place of frustration in her life. She had three children, and the youngest of the three was hearing impaired. She was deaf. And her husband, a roofer, had fallen off the roof and was unable to work because of two broken legs. They had hospital bills. They had living expenses. And it seemed to her that any job was difficult to take during the day with the care she needed to provide for her daughter. And that weekend, she got an idea hearing a pastor preach, what, is, what do you have in your hand? And she realized she could offer her skills as a translator to the deaf 
at a local hospital. And she was now excited. And she ended up working nights as a translator at a hospital emergency room making over $30 an hour and got their family through a crisis in their life. Here's what I want to tell you, folks. You have something in your hand today. God has not left you without something in your life. You have ingenuity, you have forethought, you understand how to get up and how to go. And it's time for you to understand you must embrace the place where you are because God knows exactly where you are and he knows exactly what you need and you need to get up and embrace what God has given you right now. Come on, get excited about where you are now, right now. See, some people wear themselves out constantly praying. And resisting and rebuking. I rebuked him. Devil. They beg, please, God, you have to change the situation. They say, God, change my husband. Change my wife. Change my situation. Change my job. We always are praying, resisting, rebuking. Used to have an old sister in the church. I buke you, devil. I buke you. She didn't want to say Reese. She said, I buke you. She said, I want it to be the first time. I buke you, not rebuke you. I've already done it before. I just buke you right now. That's the truth. She used to do it. And we can't pray away everything uncomfortable in our lives. God's not going to remove every difficulty immediately. He won't eliminate all the annoying circumstances or all the annoying people. I guess you've heard my story of the gnats, hadn't you? My daddy made me chop cotton and said, son, not only are you going to chop cotton, you're going to love it. You're going to love this job. Yes, sir, daddy. Yes, sir. I came home one day. I said, daddy, I want to quit. And he just put his belt off and put it on the table, saying, now let's talk. I said, no, daddy, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to hang in there. I said, daddy, those gnats are driving me crazy in that, in that field. He said, son, you know why? Because gnats love lazy. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, if you was out there with energy, they'd, they wouldn't even bother you. That's hard to convince an eight-year-old kid of that. You understand that, don't you? So he said, the next, next morning, it's sometime. He said, I'm going to drop you off at the, at the end of the turn row. And said, uh, I want you to do something. So we get to the end of that turn row. So hit me the next morning. And I don't know if you've ever seen this in your life, but those gnats were like they was in a convention. They were just swarming. They were just they was fighting each other thinking, I got the first shot at Rexy today. I got the first shot. I'm going to get his ear. I get his nose. I got his mouth. I'm going to fly in. I'm gonna, we're going to wear that boy out. And daddy said, I see him, son. I said, daddy, you see him? They've been after me all day. He said, son, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hit those gnats running. And when you go through them, they're going to say, where'd he go? And said, get your whole handle going. And get to chopping faster than you've ever chopped before in your life. And said those gnats will be confused all day saying, what happened to that boy? You know what? I bought it. I believed it. And I still preach it today. Some of you need to quit fighting gnats in your life. And quit rebuking everything. And just understand where you are is where God wants you to be. Come on. It's time to embrace the place where you are. And the third thing, we don't grow nearly as much as when everything is easy. Resistance builds up our strength. 
I have a wonderful, I have a wonderful children's pastor. Brandon Green is a wonderful, and he used to be a trainer. He still is a trainer. And I asked him today, just today, I said, Brandon, I want to tone myself. I want, I don't want to, I don't want to be Charles Atlas. I just want to tone myself. I said, what do you think I need to do? I said, I got some 15 pound barbells. He kind of grinned and he said, pastor, why don't you just walk? I thought that was an insult. I said, walk, man, I want to lift. He said, no, Pastor, you don't need to lift. Because if you get to lifting, you're allowed to get big. Now, that felt better. So tomorrow, I'm just going to start walking. Because my coach, my, my champion trainer, told me I needed to walk. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sling that barbell when I'm going down the road. Because I want to I get some stuff. When I was 25 years old, I lived in the back of a church that I was passing for a space of five months. Then we moved from there after that five months to a 1,200 square foot home that was my residence for the next five years. First church I ever pastored. The church income of $1,100 a year. We didn't have enough money to eat out, folks. Didn't hardly have enough to eat in. But we were excited about our little church. We embraced the place where we were. And I worked hard on every message. And I preached somewhere almost every night just to exist in this world. And I did not realize, folks, I didn't even realize that I was sacrificing. I just thought this was what one does when he preaches the gospel. And now I look back and I think, how did I do it? I don't know how I did it, but I understood this message before I ever preached this message. That I'm just happy to be here, happy to be a part of God's kingdom, Happy what God's doing in our life. And it didn't matter if I lived in the back of a church or in a little old home. It didn't matter. I was preaching the gospel and people were getting saved and people were getting baptized and we just embraced the place where we were and I'm still doing it to this day. And I'm telling you, you may be in a small place or you may be in a large place, but embrace the place where you are. Let God know you're excited about what he's doing in your life right now. Recently, someone asked a dedicated Christian woman, what's the secret of you being able to influence so many people in your life? And she responded, when you have contentment in your life, others are attracted to you. When you have strife in your life, they don't, they're not attracted to you. The secret of contentment is to put Christ in the center of everything you do and everywhere you go. If you're a single tonight, embrace your singleness. Be the happiest single person in all the world. Embrace that place. Single dads, I know it's not easy. I've done it. I did it for a whole year one time with a six-year-old that turned seven. And I had to learn how to comb hair. But you've got to embrace the place where you are. And I still wanted to be happy. I didn't want her to see a sad daddy. I wanted to be happy, but he had to embrace it. If you're alone, the totem pole at work, embrace the role and be the best you can be. There used to be a guy from Houston that used to come over and he'd come visit our church, he and his wife, and he asked me to play golf one day. And I said, oh, I, don't, I, I, I really don't need to do that. But I did, you know. I went out and played with him. That's a joke, folks. You're supposed to get that. Huh? <laughs> it's golf, all right? Not bowling. It's golf. So we went out. And so I, I want to I find out everything about him. He's 34 years old. He was 34 at that time. And I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm the CEO and the president and, and owner of a company. And I said, wow, wow, that's a, that's a triple hitter. He said, yeah. I said, well, how'd you get there? He said, well, I started as a janitor when I was 18 years old in high school. 
I started sweeping floors. But he said, you know what? I was excited about sweeping those floors. I got so thrilled about sweeping those floors. They said, man, you're a good floor sweeper. We think we could raise you up in management a little bit. You could help somebody else. And he said, before I knew it, I was rising up. And he said, before I knew it, I saved some money. Before I knew it, he said, the owner came to me and he said, you know what? You look like somebody that could own this company and do greater than I have done with it. And he said, he sold it to me. He said, now I was in debt when I bought it. I said, when was that? He said, when I was 31. I bought it when I was 31. And he said, but you know what? I've already paid it off. I said, no wonder you paid for, paid for my golf today. Thank you for that, brother. And you know what? I embraced him because he had embraced the place where he was. He was happy as a janitor. He was happy climbing up the ladder. He was happy when he became the CEO and the owner and the president of the company. It don't matter where you are in life. Understand that God is with you right where you are right now. Somebody get a hold of that. Get a hold of that. Embrace the place where you are right now. If you're in retirement, embrace that. If you're just coming on the scene to get a job, embrace that. I've seen people jump into relationships or a business deal they didn't feel good about and they brought problems to their life because they wanted it so badly. Understand that God allows us to have what we insist on, even though it's not the best he has in mind for us. First Timothy 6 said this, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, Pursue love, pursue endurance and gentleness. And one of my favorite preachers, Pastor T.D. Jakes in Dallas, said, riches are what you have, but wealth is what you are. You're wealthy in opportunities. You're wealthy in creativity. You're wealthy in the chance to prioritize your life. You're wealthy to maximize your potential. You're wealthy to reassess your strengths. You're wealthy because... God loves you. Clap your hands all over the house and say that's true. God loves me right where I am. Second thing you have to do, the second principle, you have to develop your inner life. Everybody say develop my inner life. I got to develop this in here. I can't just be surface. I got to be something in here. A man owned a bunch of horses and one day he noticed one of the horses had kicked a wooden fence. And scraped his leg badly. And the man cleaned the wound and bandaged it in the animal's leg. But noticed a few weeks later that the horse was still bothered by that bruise. And the owner asked the veterinarian to come and examine the horse. And after checking the animal, the vet prescribed some antibiotics. And almost immediately the horse got better. But a month or two went by and the owner realized that the wound had not healed. So it was actually looking worse than ever. So the vet put the horse back on antibiotics again. And he got better. But when he went off the medicine, the process repeated itself and the wound just simply wouldn't heal. And finally, the vet put the horse under anesthesia and began to probe the injured leg. And once, once he got deep enough, the vet discovered a large sliver of wood that had gone far beneath the skin when the horse had hit the fence a month before. And they had been treating the symptoms rather than the source of the horse's pain. And a lot of times what people do when they face problems, they keep making surface changes rather than dealing with the root issues in their life. Well, somebody let me talk a little bit tonight. You've got to develop an inner life. They treat the symptoms versus the cause. Many people reason things out rather than root things out. They have a conversation. They talk about the problem. 
That's antibiotics. It makes them feel better, but nothing changes. They decide it's someone else's fault. They blame others. That's antibiotics. It makes them feel better, but nothing's changed. Then they play the victim. That's antibiotics. It makes them feel better, but nothing's changed. It's like cutting weeds versus pulling weeds. When you cut weeds, you see temporary improvement. Can I talk to you tonight? But the root cause for the weeds is still there under the surface. And as long as the root cause of the problem is not dealt with, the problem will resurface again and again and again and again. It's what happened to the children of Israel when they spent 40 years in the wilderness. What's supposed to be an 11-day journey because the root cause of their problem was that they had developed a victim's mentality. In, in Egypt, they had developed a victim's mentality and they had been treated horribly in Egypt. But hear me, God had brought them out of Egypt. They wasn't in Egypt anymore, but they might have been out physically, but they weren't out mentally. Some people can come out of sin, but sin doesn't come out of the person. They don't dwell, they don't deal with what's on the inside. Now, out of the wilderness, they blame Moses for their lack of food. They blame him for lack of water. They complained about the food, blamed the past. They fretted over their enemies because they never got over a mindset of a victim's mentality. I want to declare something to this congregation tonight. We are not victims in this church. We are victors in this church. We have been bought with a price. Come on, help me now. We've been purchased by the blood of the lamb. We have been robed in garments of white. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. Come on now. It's not time to start playing the blame game on everybody. It's time to step up and say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And God has changed me on the inside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You cannot play the victim game when you have Jesus in your life. Maybe you've been stuck at the same place in your life way too long. A sour marriage, a dead end career. Same circle of soap opera people surrounding you. Some folks just love drama. Oh my God. You know what we did in our, in our house? I said, we don't do the frying bacon routine. We don't, we don't sizzle bacon in our house. We don't do drama. It's just simple as that. We don't do drama. Does drama happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've had a lot of drama in our house, but we don't do drama. Because we embrace the place where we are. And we understand what's on the inside of us. And we understand that we're not victims because we know Jesus Christ. And we understand that when we're going through pain, he's there with us to help share the pain. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. 
You just don't need to do drama in your house. You got Jesus. God, show me the truth about myself. Help me get to the root of my problems. Proverbs 4 and 23 said, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your body will be full of light. What are you seeing today? What are you seeing? Do you see the good things of God or do you see all the negative things of the world? What do you see when you look? What do you see? Amen. I see good things happening. But pastor, the world's a mess. I know that. Oh, I know that. But I don't see that. The prophet had a servant that said, sir, we got a problem. We're surrounded by the enemy. And the prophet said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see what you've shown me. And when he opened his eyes, he said, oh, my Lord, the chariots of the Lord and the horsemen thereof. And instead of wondering how we're going to defeat the enemy that's come to capture us because you're a prophet of God. God opened his eyes and he saw an army of the Lord greater than any army against them. For more be with us than be with them. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, with God, you have a majority. With God, you can do all things. With Christ, you can do all things. Amen. I'm telling you, God is able. And it's time to put that in your inner self and say, I'm not going to dramatize it. I'm going to live. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be strong because God is for me. That's just good stuff right there. I've talked with some people who visit our church and in talking with them realized they were coming here carrying offenses from other churches. And after talking a bit, I encouraged them to go back to the church and not necessarily make it right, but to go back and let, not let a root of bitterness have a place in their heart, Hebrews 12 and 15. Don't let bitterness get in your heart. You're better than that. You've got Jesus in your life. Don't let bitterness get between you and your in-laws. Their battle is not your battle. Come on now. Their problem is not your problem. Don't let somebody else's problem become your problem. You're bigger than that because you have a God factor in your life. And you've got a pastor that's preaching about it tonight. It's important that we understand that God is with us. Some did that and they had a whole new change of attitude. Let me tell you something, folks. It doesn't take long to get a change of attitude. Just ask my daddy. My daddy could change my attitude that quick. <laughs> now, there's a lot of snubbing <laughs> with it, but he could change my attitude that quick. If my earthly father can change my attitude that quick, what do you think my heavenly father can do? Come on, folks, get to looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He is able to understand where you are and you embrace that and let your inner self be blessed, develop your inner life and something will happen in your life and you will become a better you. Amen? You believe that? Say amen. amen. God is knocking on doors of new rooms in our hearts. Rooms we haven't let him in previously. The doorknob's on the inside though. It's not on the outside. He ain't going to come in and interrupt you. He's a gentleman. But if you'll open the door, he'll come in. And he'll sup with you and you can sup with him. That's the way God works. The third thing, and I close. Not only do we have to embrace the place where we are, not only do we have to develop an inner life, but we must stay passionate about life. Whew. Wow. Pastor.
Pastor, when are you going to wind down? Ah, you won't be alive when I wind down. I'm never going to wind down. I'm like old Smith Wigglesworth. I ain't never got over getting saved. I'm not going to wind down. They're going to, they're going to have to pin me up when I'm 85 and say, Paul, Paul, you can't preach today. Because I want to, I want to tell everybody till the day I die that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's nobody like him. Amen. And we must stay passionate. Everybody say, pa- say pa- passionate. Stay passionate about life. I love what Jesus said in Luke 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That's enough. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Wow. That's what the church is mission is today we must we must preach the good news to the poor we must proclaim release of the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the lord let me tell you something when this gospel is preached every day is a jubilee it's not every 50 years it's every day is a jubilee it's every day. It's every Sunday's a Jubilee Sunday. Because somebody's going to find Jesus around here every Sunday. Somebody's going to receive the Spirit around here every Sunday. Somebody's going to want the waters of baptism every Sunday. Hey, we need to stand up on our feet, not literally, but stand up on our feet and say, this is a church where people still get turned around and people still get their life in order. We must stay passionate about this thing called life. Some years ago, a friend wrote to a Russian author, Turgenev, telling him that they felt the most important thing in life was to put oneself in second place. And Turgenev replied to his friend, I suspect the most difficult, important decision in life is to decide who to put in first place. I want you to hold a finger up like this right here, that pointer finger. Hold it up. Point it to the heavens and say, he's Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Say he's number one. one. (laughs) We ought to get them old NFL number one fingers and have a number one Sunday around here and come in here magnifying Jesus like we haven't never magnified him in our life. Just have a brouhaha, hullabaloo. Just have a time in the Lord around here because he's still number one. Nobody like him. I've spoken in high school commencements and Invariably, if there's a special music program on the docket, it's the song called Climb Every Mountain, Forge Every Stream, Follow Every Rainbow Till You Find Your Dream. But talking to many young people, I find that most of them mentally do not have on climbing boots or carry a rope or a climber's axe. It's just hard today to find a lot of young people that have purpose and passion and mission in their life. And when I find it, I go blitzo because I love when I see greatness being born in a culture that does not want greatness to be born. I'm sorry. I do not want a generation of young people who are just secure and respectable, but passionate about nothing. A soldier with no zest for fighting, an author with no zeal for writing. 
an architect without a plan, a prototype of modern man. I don't want that. I want something to get inside of our youth. Mom and dad, help me. I want our young people to understand that they still have the greatest ability in the world. One reason, because they're your kids. And number two, because they're they're God's kids. And they belong to something greater than just the normal world belongs to. Either we believe this, folks, or we don't. I'm passionate about your children. I'm passionate about your young people. I'm passionate about them. I want them to grow up and become great, 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 great people in the kingdom of God and great leaders in our nation. And God allowed me to have a group of young people when I came that I preached to like I'm preaching to you right now. And they became something. And I can tell you they became great things. But I'm not through preaching because I'm still passionate about your kids. It's another generation now. I'm passionate about my grandkids. I want them to grow up and be something great for the kingdom of God. And be world leaders. It's got to be that way. We're not going to get people who will run a dairy where are we going to get people who will run a dairy that says this? Our cows are not content. They're striving to do better every day. I wonder if our children still memorize such corny lines as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I love his poetry. The heights by great men reached and kept weren't attained by sudden flight. But they, while companions slept, were toiling upward through the night. It sounds corny, but it's so true. Too many people are busy with theories that will help them learn without learning or memorize without labor or think without turning over their mind. Does anyone ever read Oliver Wendell Holmes anymore? I don't know if I can read this without crying. Through our great good fortune in our youth, our hearts were touched by fire. It was given to us at the outset that life was a profound and passionate thing. And while we were permitted to scorn nothing but indifference and do not pretend to understand the worldly rewards of ambition... We have seen with our own eyes beyond the gold fields and to the snowy heights of honor. And it is for us to report them to those who come after us. He said, I have seen something. I have laid hold on something that I want my young people to have a greater hold on than what I even had. I want somebody to see what I've seen. As Martin Luther King said, I've been to the top of the mountain and I've seen the other side. And I want our young people to not only see the other side, I want them to go to the other side. I want this thing to get in our young people. I want it to get in our children. We have over 300 kids on Sunday morning and Wednesday night over here on the other side that need something burning in their soul, burning in their lives. And our youth pastor and our children's pastor is putting it in them every week. I want you parents to get on the team of Jesus. And say, kids, we've got to get passionate about what God is doing in our life. Teach your kids the art of praising God. Teach your kid the art of praying in the Spirit. Teach your child what it is to understand that God is all in all in their life. Is it all right if I preach it that way? Yes, it is. Sounds corny, but don't be misled. These things are as real and true today as they were when I read them and when they were first written. And I close with this statement tonight. Life is a profound and passionate thing. We must be passionate. 
you can become a better you. You can have better relationships. You can have better experiences. But you have to open the door of your heart and let God know and let him in. I want to embrace where I am. I want to deal with the root issues in my life. And I want to continue to be passionate about my life with God. I'm ready to be open and honest so I can get a new and better harvest in my future. And with God's help, I'm going to continue to become a better me. I'm going to do that. And I close this Bible study the way I opened it. My friend, Pastor J.T. Pugh, at a camp one summer when he was helping me and I was helping him. He was a daytime teacher and I was a nighttime preacher. He said, son, I'm better today than I was yesterday. He said, because every day I'm going to get better. I refuse to go the other way. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. I said, what would you fix today? And he'd always tell me, this is what I fixed this morning. This is what I fixed this morning. I said, well, that's great. He said, what would you fix? And I said, well, I'm fixing it. <laughs> but he taught me something. He taught me something about becoming a better person. That you can make tweaks on your spiritual engine every day. And you can become a better person that God wants you to be in this life. Amen. Amen. Say, you know what? I'm not going to tell, but there's three fibs this week. I'm down to two, Pastor. I told one the other day. Pastor, I didn't lie all week. You're becoming a better person. I got mad five times this week, but I'm working on that because I got some Irish in me. And then if you got Indian in you, I got Indian in me. If you got German in you, I got that stubborn German in me. Everybody's got something in them. Why don't we get Jesus in us? And become the best. A great sculpture was told one day, that doesn't look like what you advertised. He said, it will when I'm finished. And he just kept chipping away until the sculpture was done. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we're going to see him as he is. I'm going to close tonight with this. I, I, I wasn't going to talk. I wasn't going to talk about this because I didn't want to bring y'all into our home. But I asked my wife from time to time, and don't go ask her. Don't go ask her. This is the truth, baby. How can I be a better husband? You know what she always says. You know the answer, baby. You're a good one. Well, I want to be a better one. I really do. And then she'll come to me and she'll say, tell me how I can be a better wife. And it breaks my heart. Because she's as good as it gets. See, y'all agreeing with me about her, but you didn't agree with her about me. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm quicker than you think I am, all right? 
But why do I ask her that? Why do I even go to that? Why do I do that? I'm just being real here today. Why do I do that? Because I want to be a better me. I want to be something better. I love when you write me encouraging notes and say, Pastor, I enjoyed Sunday. Or Pastor, thank you for the word. Or Pastor, we love you. Thank you for hugging us. I love that. That goes here. It doesn't go here. But I want to tell you something. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better man. I want to be so transparent. I want to be so real to my congregation that when I'm in Timbuktu somewhere, you know I'm going to be doing the right thing in my life because we're all good here. But it's when we get alone that the Joseph experience comes a hold of us. Can you be a Joseph in a strange land? And pastors are impassioned people. And we need a lot of prayer. And God has kept his hand on me for 46 years. And I've never done anything to embarrass the church, nor embarrass myself, nor my family. And it's not because I hadn't been called. I just never done anything. But my race is not done yet. And I want to be better. I want to be a better person than I've been. Because I want to be the very best. So when I present you one day to the Lord, I say, Lord, here's this church. I want to remit more sins than I've ever remitted. I don't want to be a sin retainer. I don't want to hold things against people. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better leader. I don't want to look at you and say, Boy, I remember something you did 15 years ago. I don't want to be that kind of man. I want to be somebody that says, I see you washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's why I want to see you. That's what grace does. And I want you to see people like that. I, used to, I preached at a church one time, and I know I'm taking too much time here, but I, I'm almost done, really. But I preached this place one time, and this girl came down to get prayer. And when she came down, an elder came up to me and said, Pastor, don't, uh, Brother Rex, don't even waste your time on that. Don't waste your time on her. She prays through every revival. She'll be gone as soon as the revival's over. It broke my heart that people thought that about that young girl. I went over to her and I said, you want to make up your mind to do what's right? She said, I do. And I prayed with her. I don't know where she is today. It's a long time ago. But everybody matters. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.